sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, let me just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always is a man that was more than happy to ignore the two major candidates in this year's election and scribble in his own name on the ballot, the wannabe chief and commander. All hail the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to be nominated for my role. Actually, I voted for uh, Bill Murray. William Murray. <laughs> Robert Murray. Who knows? Uh, peace and love. Peace and love. I hope uh, everybody's week is going well. I know it's kind of a stressful week, but hopefully this will get you through your day tomorrow. Uh, whoever's president, right? That's right. I've decided regardless who wins, I'm just going to increase my drinking to cope. Yeah, in 2017, we all should be nicer to each other, but let's ramp up our true crime and let's ramp up our beer in 2017. That's my platform, and I'm sticking to it. Well, Captain, we don't have to wait till 2017. Let's just start now. Let's be nice, and let's increase the drinking. Tonight, we are drinking (laughs) Big Bad Baptist. This is by Epic Brewing Company. Mm -hmm. Garage grade, let's give the Baptist five bottle caps. Big Bad Baptist is a stout. A big bad stout with coffee added and aged in whiskey barrels. It also has a hint of chocolate as well. Epic Brewing Company is originally in Salt Lake City, Utah, but in 2013, they expanded their operations to Colorado, opening a brewery brewery in the Mm -hmm. River North District of beautiful downtown Denver. The Big Bad Baptist is brought to us by some of our wonderful listeners and garage goers. First, we have Damien in Gosport, United Kingdom. Damien says that the UK loves us. Well, we thank you for that. And a big thank you to the United Kingdom for allowing Damien to represent you and speak on your behalf. (laughs) Next, we have Barbara in Milltown, New Jersey. Thank you, Barbara. We also have Dawn in Austin, Texas. You know, we Mm -hmm. get a lot of Austin, Texas love. 
Dawn says she loves the show and that we are definitely her favorite podcast. Also, oh, there, thank you. Yeah. Also, there's Allison in Cary, Illinois. Congrats, Allison, if you are a Cubs fan. And c- congrats to the Cubs and the people of Chicago on their long overdue World Series victory. Go Indians. That's right. Go Tribe. Next, we have Tina in Bluffton, OH. I owe. Thank you, Captain. Tina says, try Finley Brewing Company's Floodwater Stout. Mm. I used to play Nino's up there. Oh, nice. And then Finley. And last but not least, we have a donation from the Nighttime Podcast. Oh, nice. Yeah. They say that we are the high watermark for true crime podcast. (laughs) Jordan. You mean Jordan says they say. Yeah. Jordan says. So it's it well it's nice to get such you, a Jordan. nice compliment from another great show from the pod community right so yes that makes us I guess we are pod people okay so we got uh, Ohio Texas UK nighttime podcast we like your gym thank you everyone for contributing to this week's show and if you want to buy us around for next week go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button yeah and to follow us on social media Facebook Twitter Instagram. Uh, Snapchat, all that stuff. You can find us at, at True Crime Garage. And uh, if you're not on Instagram and we talk about posting pictures of the case, you can go to our website and see those. They're on the right-hand side of the website. And check out True Crime Garage TV at the YouTube channel. Yeah, and make sure that you go. <laughs> it's like never-ending plugs for our stuff. Uh, just go to the website <laughs> and sign up on the mailing list. And we like your gym. And that's enough of the business. Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer, and let's talk some true crime. And happy election day, people. This is True Crime Garage. And this is the case of the Aurora theater shooter.
position. Hold your suspect. There's seen, I got seven down in feet or not. Seven down. We can 25 to everybody on this. It's an assault rifle. We have we have a magazine down inside. So everybody, watch out for the assault rifle. All right, so the guy's still in theater nine. I'm working on the backboard right now for that female. Okay, uh, suspect is going to be a male, unknown race, black camo outside outfit, believed to be wearing a vest, gas mask, and multiple long guns. This evening, we are discussing the terrible and tragic event that took place in Colorado, July 20th, 2012, and absolutely one of the most senseless acts that I have ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, of course, being the Aurora Theater mass shooting that was committed by James Holmes. Now, James Holmes was born December 13, 1987, in San Diego County, California. His parents are Robert and Arlene Holmes. Yeah, and Robert was a mathematician, scientist. He had multiple degrees, Stanford, UCLA, uh, UC Berkeley. And his mom was a registered nurse. Big shout out to the nurses. He also has a younger sister named Chris. Um, And then it's around these middle school years of his early life that we start to see some, some possible issues with James Holmes. Yeah, these are claims that are being made. And again, I don't know if some of this information was stuff that actually happened or was it claims after the mass shooting? Mm -hmm. So uh, they talk a lot about how he started suffering some mental health issues around middle school. He talks about the nail ghost. Mm -hmm. So uh, he, he basically would say that he would see these like ghosts or shadowy, shadowy figures that were hitting or hammering on the wall. And at times they appeared to be fighting one another from, from what I had read. Yeah, yeah. It talks about shadows, kind of seeing shadow figures and also seeing kind of like flickers out of the side of his eyes. And he has told, he has told us that uh, at, this is 11 around the... Well, he didn't tell us, but he's, he, I think he, his lawyer claims that he uh, made a suicide attempt at the age of 11. I haven't seen anywhere on record that his parents talk about this, but they don't do a lot of interviews. So maybe later on, like when you see like uh, with the Columbine case, the mom took a long time before she actually wrote a book about it. So maybe that will come out later with one of his parents writing a book and maybe would have some more insight to his childhood and and what went wrong uh, to have this happen. And after the events on uh, July 20th, 2012, you know, they've gone back and they've they've interviewed people that may have known James Holmes, that may have gone to school with him at an mm-hmm. early age, uh, elementary school, middle school age. And they're the um, you know, their reports uh, are, are a bit scattered, in my opinion. You know, there are some people that basically say, well, he was somebody that was unnoticeable. He was somebody yeah. that was kind of forgettable. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was kind of quiet. I didn't know who he was. Uh, there are other people. There is some debate whether he was 
either bullied or may have been somewhat of a bully himself. But it seems like the majority of the claims are that he was kind of a forgetter, forgettable personality, that he wasn't didn't stand out in the crowd. Yeah, he was definitely a smart kid. Um, once he gets into high school, he, he plays soccer. He uh, runs cross country. Again, playing soccer in high school, how good was he? Did he start? Did he sit the bench? I mean, who, who knows how much uh, effect this really has on his life. He seems very into uh, his academics. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, extremely, extremely w- into the academics. Which will lead him to the college, um, University of California, and which he'll get um, his bachelor's in neuroscience. He graduates in the top 1% of his class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he goes on to the University of Colorado, which he is going to get his Ph.D. Yeah, yeah, he's seeking a Ph.D. from the University of Colorado. He enrolls in that program uh, in 2011. Yeah, and before he actually goes to college, uh, I believe this is the case. You can I've only seen clips on YouTube. I think there's the full presentation. Uh, he basically does like this internship uh, kind of a science summer camp type thing. And they filmed all the pre- presentations. And so you can see before going into college, I mean, he's very well-spoken, better, you know, better spoken than we are. Uh, and very intelligent. That's, that's a large group. Very intelligent for, uh, you know, somebody that just graduated high school. Yeah. Um, and, and he's, he's also talking about some fascinating stuff. Uh, you know, basically he, had to program uh, a computer program, learn how to do all the code with Flash and everything. But basically, you know, because of this science that we know that he could create this code that would create these games that would create an illusion in your brain, mm-hmm. which is pretty fascinating for somebody that's not even in college. But like we said, so now he's at the University of Colorado and he lives in a one-bedroom apartment with... Uh, it's basically a complex, but the cl- complex is for health studies normally. You know, so he's studying neuroscience. So he's around other people that PhDs. What what are they studying? I'm not really for sure. It's for students, but but you're saying probably a more specific type of student. Yeah, because a lot of times what they do, you know, with PhD students is they're going to put you in housing so you're not around a bunch of freshmen. You know, they try to, you know, with the campus housing, they like to try to keep the ages similar, you know, the the areas of study similar. It just kind of helps, you know, the social environment. And because he had already graduated UC Riverside, obviously he's older than than the, you know, the general students where the thing is, too, he is. I mean, I don't know to say that he's a good student is is conveying enough of what he actually was. I mean, there are college professors that, that have said he's extremely well researched. Like he, he, he loves to research and he has a great ability to, um, be able to present the research to Mm -hmm. a crowd and to anybody that is willing to listen. Yeah. I mean, in his presentation, and like I said, that's pre-college, that's pre-bachelor's degree, uh, well-spoken and he seemed not to be super nervous, but you could tell there was probably some, uh, social, you know, ineptness to him, which is, you know, 
I, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, again, it's a, a presentation right out of high school. How much confidence do you have going into college? I'm not really for sure. Well, and we kind of got to dive into his college life a little bit because this is all things leading up, obviously, to the, the major event there. But, uh, you know, when you talk about things like schizophrenia, you know, there are a lot of people Sch- that... Schizophrenia? Yeah. There's a lot of people that will they'll say that that will start to uh, accelerate in, in the... Late years, teens, yeah, early twenties, early twenties. Yeah. Um, no, early te- late teens, early twenties. Thank you. That's what I meant. Mm. But and the other thing that we're seeing now is that he is out. He's out on his own. He's in a different city. He's he's all out on his own, and he's out with people that he may not know. So there's a bit of isolation that has come with this new portion of his life. Mm-hmm. Now, and the studies here are going to be harder. I mean, before he's just an undergraduate. Now it's time for his graduate degree. Uh, there's some weird stuff with his uh, digital footprint, you know, one that would lead. You know, he has a university email. He has a MySpace account. That was that's before Facebook. Yeah. Um, Match.com. He's they found some. Well, let me lead up to that real quick. OK, so mm-hmm. at his college life, once he's at Colorado, he he's going to class. He's participating and he seems to be doing well academically for the most part, but he is pretty much a bit of a loner. Once he gets there, we said that this may have, uh, this transition in his life may have created some form of isolation for him. Yeah. He probably was always somewhat isolated. He's not making a lot of friends. He goes out here and there, and there's at least one bar that he was known to have gone to several times, maybe even frequently, but he doesn't really buddy up with anyone there at school or at the bar as well. Uh, on occasion, it is rumored that he would go to a brothel. Uh, this is something that seemed to be something that he may have done at least a number of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was later reported that this is activity that would cost him $240 cash and that he would typically keep this amount of money on him most of the time, particularly in $20 bills. He did try, as you were saying with his digital footprint, he did try a couple of times to maybe reach out, let's call it that, um, in April of 2012, he is on match.com. Uh, eventually, you know, his profile would end up with the headline, will you visit me in prison? And his picture shows him, uh, now with the, uh, infamous dyed orange hair that, that we associate with James Holmes. Yeah. Uh, what else, uh, you know, what else do you do when you're having trouble socially, or maybe you need to find a friend? Well, of course, you can go to adultfriendfinder.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, so James is friend finding on this site, going by the name of Classic Jimbo, and his profile on there reads <laughs> so that creative. he's yeah he's six foot tall. He's mm-hmm. has an athletic build and he's single. He's looking for a woman or couples, a man and a woman, groups or couples, two women. Uh, mm-hmm. For erotic chat or email, discreet relationship, one-on-one sex or group sex, and a the adultfriendfinder.com clarifies group sex as three or more people. So thank you to them because I don't know that anybody describes sex between two people as group sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, under under traits, habits, and personal preferences like smoking, he answers things like he prefers not to say. Drinking, he says he's a light to social drinker. If you've listened to this show long enough, you know that I would be listed as a heavy garage drinker. Uh, not sure that that's even like an option he, on the he site. He drinks a lot of garages. Yeah. And then uh, for drugs, uh, if he's a drug user, again, he prefers not to say. 
uh, for male endowment. Well, mm. he says he's short to average. He might he maybe recommendation. All he right. probably should have lied there. <laughs> Where is the show going? <laughs> and he also says that he's a circumcised speaker of English. All so right. I don't know. I don't know what other things you can list on that site, but maybe hobbies or or whatnot. But this is a general idea of his profile, and you can find uh, uh, pictures of that profile online. Yeah, there's also pictures of like the Match.com stuff where it's uh, not as weird, and maybe you don't want to put that on a podcast, um, <laughs> like the Adult Friend Finder stuff. I'm sorry, but if if, um, if you if they post a profile of somebody online, it, 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 I come across it, I have to read it. Yeah, I mean, he also claims Match.com that he's 5'11". So maybe he's trying to be more honest there. He says he's not a smoker, but he's a drinker on Match.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so and the other weird thing, too, is that they found, I mean, you might not, you know, people might be listening going, well, I don't know if I buy the prostitution thing. They found several times where he left reviews if they had like an online forum. Yeah, uh, James Holm would go and... Uh, James Holmes would go leave reviews for these prostitutes. I, I found a couple of what I consider um, very reliable sources that, that they were pretty adamant that, that he was doing the brothel thing or the prostitute thing. Well, he wasn't a complete loner psychopath. Uh, he was dating somebody in, in October of uh, 2011. 2011. Gargi Dada is what we'll say because that's that's it's, it's, I've looked at this on paper. And unless you wrote it down completely wrong, who knows what that that name right. is? So but it, he they, dated her for about two months, right? Yeah, about two months, and then it ended. I guess there was this, something on uh, St. Patrick's Day where there was an altercation. Uh, where they're out having a date. She is talked to by another male. Then he, uh, James, has an altercation with this guy. Not fist fight or anything, but he has a conversation, and after that. He kind of became more distant. Yeah, and I and I sh- I kind of misspoke there. I said two months, but it but from what I've read, it sounded like there was a bit of an on and off type of relationship because they started this relationship in late 2011, and at some point it would continue in the early part of 2012. Yeah, yeah. So basically, and that ends up with the the experience of the St. Patrick's Day situation where some guy says something to Gargi or whatever her name is. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Uh, but uh, and, and this becomes a big. He he gets pretty weird about this situation, and this causes her to to not really want to be involved with with James that much. Yeah, and she would talk about how he just would have some weird jokes. You know, he'd say some things that just maybe just didn't, you know a social awkwardness to him, mm-hmm. which would make people feel uncomfortable. And we all have friends like that. Um, but he every now and then would make kind of jokes to you know kind of. Uh, expressing his desire to kill somebody. Yeah. And that's where it was kind of like, well, this is a little strange. And she meant, mentioned to him multiple times because, you know, as we talk about him being such a good student, well, that was not the case, you know, once he gets to school. So he was a good student. He graduated top 1% in his class, but now he's, he's having some difficulties. Mm-hmm. And anybody that has been to college before or been has been to a college that wasn't a good fit, there's some stuff happening Mentally, mm-hmm. you're now in a school where you seem to know nobody, so the loneliness factor creeps in, and then you have to deal with you know tough classes. And if your motivation, you know, let's say you are a musician, for example, but you're going to study English, well, the passion might not be there because of the mo- motivation, and your motivation can constantly change. So he was having some issues with 
you know, school life, this new school life. But, you know, he had this girlfriend and, and, and she expressed to him, oh, with your issues with school and with, you know, some of this uh, social awkwardness, maybe you should see uh, professional help. Now, again, this is all reported after the shooting. So is that what actually took place or is this just what you're telling people after the shooting? And some of the things that she talks about that he was saying or that he would say in group settings or to her, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and class, I'm going to title these as um, I'm going to call these homicidal jokes. They almost sound like uh, mm-hmm. off color, you know, bad taste, uh, homicidal type sounding jokes. Um, and I think what you're seeing here is maybe there, maybe we have somebody that has an issue connecting with, with others. And maybe the only way that he knows how to bridge that gap is with some kind of shock factor, you mm-hmm. know, by getting attention with some kind of shocking statement. Um, but you're right. She does say, you know, at the time I didn't really take some of these things that he said seriously. However, I did recommend to him, maybe you should, you should consider talking to somebody, a professional. Well, and if you get a chance, if you really dive into this case and you want to look at the presentation he gave, now I understand it's a presentation, but they ask him like, you know, what, you know, what are some goals in your life as they introduce him to make his speech? And one of the things he says is one of his lifelong goals is to own a Slurpee machine. Now, again, this is four years prior. It's kind of a funny joke, you know, kind of an odd thing to bring up. Uh, and it gets a bunch of laughs from the audience. And and then he's, he smiles. He seems like a normal person. Again, what has happened to him? What what is happening to him mentally? We don't we won't know. Nobody can know that. It's just inside his brain. And then how much of the stress from the school and these social awkward moments is playing into the decisions that he's going to make. In the spring of 2012, he does start to receive some, he starts taking therapy sessions. And this is with a psychiatrist by the name of Lynn Fenton. Um, Now, here's here's some other things, okay? So we have July 7th, all right? This is just a month and a half before the event. James Holmes, he fails an oral exam, several oral exams, and this is very unlike James. Just like we had said earlier, he had been considered by teachers and other students to be a good researcher and a good presenter of research, Mm -hmm. and his work was very thorough. Um, This presents some areas of discussion uh, in in much later discussion. On June 10th, James Holmes, he file, files paperwork to withdraw from the neuroscience program and does not say why he wishes to do so. Yeah. The following day, he meets with his psychiatrist. Again, this is uh, Dr. Fenton. And um, he is breaking off the relationship with her. And she goes on to tell campus police officers that Holmes has made several homicidal statements and he had sent her threatening text messages. The campus police asked Fenton if they should put Holmes on a 72-hour on a psychiatric hold. This is obviously for his personal safety and for right. the safety of others as well. Uh, Dr. Fenton says that this will not be necessary. So, again, we are and seeing— And I think in this process, too, they, they revoke his uh, student ID, mm-hmm. which I think goes to a lot of, like, food courts and— and so and probably ac- access to different uh, parts of the school are taken away by by revoking or shutting off his student ID. 
Mm-hmm. And because of his area of study, he actually had access to buildings and rooms that, that students of the general population would not have access to. Um, again, Fenton decides against the 72 hour hold. This mm-hmm. is, this psychiatric holds a pretty common thing. I didn't realize this, but in, in the state of Colorado, they estimate that about 2000, they do about 2000 of, or more of these holds a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little more common than I had thought. Uh, but again, we are seeing some signs of something, possibly something going on here. Some kind of maybe a possible, possible mental break of sorts, but we're also seeing some signs of premeditation to the the massacre or a violent event that that we're leading up to here uh way back in may in the early parts of may 2012 uh this and leading up to just days before the attack james holmes is stockpiling weapons and ammo uh in may he orders two tear gas canisters online and over the next few weeks he also buys two handguns a shotgun an assault rifle, and 6,295 rounds of ammunition and body armor, handcuffs, road stars. These are meant to puncture tires. A 100-round drum magazine and a laser sight, uh, several laser sights, I'm sorry, as well as additional explosive materials. Uh, He buys some of these at gun stores like uh, his local Gander Mountain and Bass Pro Shop. So he's buying some of these face-to-face situations in person. Yeah, and they're all legal. Mm -hmm. These are legal purchases. Exactly. And then he is purchasing some of these items online from several retailers, but one of them being uh, BulkAmmo.com. Now, weeks leading up to the attack... We see James Holmes. He is actually going to the movie theater. This is the Aurora Century Theater 16. Mm-hmm. And using his phone, his cell phone, he is taking photos of the theater in the layout. Uh, this being the hallways and entrances and whatnot. Uh, getting kind of cataloging the lay of the land, let's say. Uh, but one photo in particular is he's, he's taking a photo of the door latch. Uh, this is one of the exit doors. You know how the, in a in a movie theater you have you walk in to the theater and then you find your seat. But down sometimes down by the screen they have doors that will exit out into the parking lot. Right. Well, this he's he has taken photos of the latch and of this door. These are the events that lead us up to the actual event. And we'll get to that right after a quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com slash garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. 
Head to factormeals.com slash true crime garage 50 and use code true crime garage five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code true crime garage 50 at factormeals.com slash true crime garage five zero to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Break. And we're back from the beer break. Uh, we're talking about the Aurora Theater shooter, uh, James Holmes. Yes, and this brings us to the point of the day of the event. Now, what's taking place here is there's going to be a movie premiere. Uh-huh. Uh, this is one of those midnight showings uh, when a movie first comes out. And this is the movie of The Dark Knight Rises, which we don't have to be... Uh, I don't know how much we have to go into this. Most people should know about this the Dark Knight Rises grossed over a billion dollars at the box office worldwide. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it so, was the third movie in the Batman trilogy. Yeah. And so this is the character played by Christian Bale, uh, the Batman character. This had Tom Hardy in it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people felt like this was the best. I'm just doing a little Batman movie talk real quick. Okay. Um, a lot of people thought this was the best film of 2012. It's the 16th highest grossing movie of all time. Actually, that's what it said on Wikipedia. It's actually 17th right now. Okay. So it dropped a spot. It was the third highest grossing movie of 2012. The fourth highest grossing superhero movie of all time. Now, just a little trivia. I'm just going to throw this at you. What are the top three grossing movies of all time? Top three grossing movies of all time. Not, not superheroes. Doesn't have to be just superhero movies. movies. Titanic. Titanic is number two. Okay. Number one is Avatar, and number three is Star Wars The Force Awakens. Oh. Uh, anyways, these were my favorite Batman movies out of all of them. I liked uh, Michael Keaton, um, but Christian Bale's character, I just thought, uh, and the third one, I didn't see this in theaters, but when I saw this, I remember... The, the movie was over, and I thought there was no way I'm going to like a Batman movie more than the one with Heath Ledger. Right. There's no way. This one, I might actually like it better. I mean, just it has a couple twists and turns. Anyways, that is the movie that is premiering. Um, it's the midnight showing. It's going to be happening at July 20th, mm-hmm. and and this is a big deal. I mean, this is sold out. And and if anybody's been to a sold out showing before, I mean, normally when you go to the movie theater, it's what one fourth full or maybe even half full at the most. But this is a big event where people are now going to, you know, kind of fight to figure out which where they're going to sit. Yeah, and there were actually four hundred and twenty people watching the midnight showing of the Batman movie, The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, not not in this theater. There was actually multiple theaters that mm-hmm. were showing the dark Knight rises, but it was a big event for theaters all over the United States for mm-hmm. that night. Yeah. Uh, I believe it actually opened up the night before in New York. Uh, and then it opened it like up four, maybe four days before in New okay. York. Yeah. And then, then it opened up uh, nationwide and worldwide uh, that day as well. So John Holmes, he has already previously purchased a ticket, and he purchased this ticket. Not John Holmes. Oh, sorry. James, James Holmes. Holmes. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Different bad guy. Yeah. Uh, so James Holmes, he purchased his ticket uh, well in advance, days in advance, actually, and he shows up to see this midnight premiere of the Batman movie. And shortly into the movie, 
This is all a plan that he has put together well in advance, and mm-hmm. he's geared himself up for this attack uh, to these these innocent people that have no idea what they're about to yeah, I, witness. I don't, I don't or think experience. experience. I don't think it was James's plan to um, actually watch the movie. No, you know, not I think at all. It was just where I'm going to this event. Um, yeah, so he basically stands up, or they see a lot of eyewitness accounts is that somebody stands up and is on their phone, almost like they're going to take a phone call. And they go to this emergency exit. Mm-hmm. And they kind of prop the door open. Which is odd, because normally, one of the eyewitnesses said, if somebody was going to take a phone call, you would assume that they'd go out to the lobby. Mm-hmm. You normally, you don't normally see anybody mess with the exit doors. Right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, this is interesting because he stands up and then he goes out. These, these are the doors that we were talking about earlier. He goes out the door that's up by the screen. Now, he's previously parked his vehicle. He's got a, a white Hyundai hatchback that he parked. Is it a Hyundai or is it a Kia? I think you hear in the um, in the police call that they're talking about a Kia. I don't know that they're talking about, they may be talking about a victim there or maybe they have just misspoken and thought that it was mm-hmm. a Kia, but, um, it's a Hyundai white hatchback and he goes out to his vehicle to retrieve his weapons and his body armor, as well as a gas mask and two can- canisters of tear gas. Yeah. And he said that he, in his court and his later court dates and trial, uh, he said that he kind of lingered outside longer than he anticipated. And one thing that I found interesting here was that the, uh, I don't know if it was the psychiatrist or the, the, um, the judge that was asking him these questions is one clear from what I was watching, but they asked him why he was standing out there and, um, they wanted some kind of answer. Like, were you trying to talk yourself out of this situation? Were mm-hmm. you trying to talk yourself down? And he said, no, no, I wasn't doing that. And they, and he said, you know, well, were you hoping that maybe somebody would come along and and see you and stop you from doing this and prevent you. And again, he says, no, he said, basically what had happened would, was he dropped one of the canisters and he went to retrieve it. And then he kind of just stopped himself for maybe a minute or two before going back into the same door that he exited earlier. And this is where he, he throws the, the, the two canisters of tear gas. Right. And this is, he's going to do this for some form of crowd control, I guess, to, to disorient, disorient the people in the, in the seats. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the eyewitnesses would later say that they thought maybe this was part of, part of the theatrics of the show. You know, one eyewitness actually thought that the person was throwing like fake bats into the air. Um, Yeah. Another person, I mean, let's just paint, the, the scene of, of J, uh, James Holmes, he's wearing all black. Yeah. He's wearing this, um, it's not a bulletproof vest, but he's wearing bullet resistant pants. Mm-hmm. He's wearing some kind of, um, I don't even know what it's called, but the, he has this vest. It's not a bu- bulletproof vest, but it this thing makes him look a lot bigger and tougher. Mm-hmm. Um, he's wearing all black and he has the gas mask. One of the eyewitnesses said, you know, I thought the person was dressed as Batman, like as a part of the thing, you know, as part of the whole, you know, it's midnight showing. Yeah. He's wearing a, he's wearing black clothing, a gas mask, a ballistic helmet, uh, urban assault vest, uh, black bulky jacket. He also has shin guards, 
a throat guard, a groin protector, and a dark bulletproof, those dark bulletproof leggings that you had talked about. Yeah. Uh, Bullet so, resistant. Yeah. yeah. So he goes in and he throws the tear gas and now he's disoriented the crowd and he basically opens up fire on, on many people that have no clue what's going on. And he has this assault rifle. We talked about the assault rifle that he had purchased. He has an AR-15, okay? And he had purchased that the drum magazine that would allow him to have 100 rounds mm -hmm. that he could fire. He basically fired that thing. He shot 30 rounds in 27 seconds. So just think about that for a second, how, how fast and how rapid that is. And in less than two minutes... He shot bullet fragments into 238 theater seats. This ends up killing 12 people and 70 people are wounded and 15 of them are permanently wounded. Mm -hmm. Now, 10 of the, the victims would die at the scene and two of the victims would die on the way to the hospital or at the hospital. Now, of the 70 people that were wounded, 58 of them were wounded in the actual attack. And 12 people are wounded and suffered injuries as they were fleeing the building. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, a common thing you'll see. I mean, because you never know how you're going to react to something until it's actually going on. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of people didn't, you know, they were scared. Um, uh, people obviously were running for their lives. There's complete chaos. And, and, and in that mayhem, uh, 12 people were injured. And around, I, I believe it was at 12.38 a.m., they, they start to receive 911 calls about what's going on. And, of course, not a lot of the people calling, on, calling in really know exactly what's going on. You know, they're in a state, heightened state of panic. Mm -hmm. People are fleeing the building. So they're kind of just reporting what little bit they believe to be going on. So you're getting a lot of different calls coming in right now reporting different things. Mm -hmm. Some people report that they had seen multiple shooters. Some people report that they had only seen one shooter. Uh, we have different eyewitness accounts because a lot of things are happening very, very quickly. Yeah, so then the the, the cops show up, mm -hmm. and uh, quickly they realize, I, I believe it's Theater 9. Yes, he, um, and he parked his vehicle right outside of uh, Theater 9 in the parking lot so that he could access that door in his vehicle very quickly. Yeah, we, we can assume he's he wants to access that, access that as a getaway vehicle. The cops show up, and you'll hear, you know, you'll hear in the 911 tapes, they're saying, hey, we need gas mask. Mm -hmm. We need gas masks there's uh you know these uh smoke bombs or whatever you want to call them um in theater nine we need to get in there um eventually you know as through the 911 tapes you hear this chaos you hear them asking for ambulances one of the things that people bring up a, a lot of times with this case is that these ambulances weren't showing up fast enough and we have all these people wounded and the cops started not waiting for the ambulance. They just started taking the the victims out and taking them to the nearest hospital. Which um, actually goes against police protocol uh, for mm -hmm. that area anyway. They're, they are instructed to not uh, transport victims or wounded people to the hospital in their patrol cars. Now, I commend these officers for breaking protocol and deciding that they're you know, one life lost is too many, obviously, but they're witnessing something that nobody should have to be a part of or witness. And they made a concerted effort that 
and decided that nobody else should have to die tonight. And we're mm-hmm. going to break protocol and we're going to help as many people and save as many lives as we can. Now, and as they get there and there's chaos all around them, they, they quickly figure out that we have a suspect now. Well, what happens is there's it's a it's patrolman Jason Obiat. He shows up and he sees a a, a black figure standing mm-hmm. next to this white hatchback. And the figure appears to be wearing SWAT gear or police riot gear. So at first he assumes that this person is uh, is a police officer, mm-hmm. is somebody that's there to help. But quickly what he realizes is that the, the person is not moving. He doesn't seem to be reacting to what's going on. So that triggers something within him and he wonders, well, who is this person? So he gets out of his vehicle and he tells the person to put, put your hands on the roof of the vehicle. And the, the person doesn't really resist. He, after being asked, after being asked twice, James puts his hands on the roof of the vehicle next to him, very close to him on the roof of the vehicle is a semi-automatic Glock. Um, and then James Holmes is ordered to the ground. This is when the officer Obiat, he comes up and he drags James Holmes about 10 feet away from the vehicle because he wants to get him away from that firearm. Right. And he drags him over to a dumpster and he cuffs him. Now he starts to frisk him to see if he can find any additional weapons. When you see a person, when this thing is going on and you see a person outfitted in this kind of SWAT gear or riot gear that he's wearing, you, you have to assume that he's heavily armed and he's trying to find other weapons on, on the assailant, on the suspect. And because he's wearing so much gear, you can't really feel anything in there. You can't feel for additional weapons. Mm -hmm. So a second officer shows up and they decide to using a knife, they begin to cut some of the gear off of James Holmes. Um, in doing so, they find a couple of knives. They find uh, an iPod touch. Uh, they basically strip him down to his white T-shirt, socks, and underwear so they could find anything that they th- that might be on his mm-hmm. person. And, 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 and in this moment, they're already searching his vehicle, his hatchback. Well, uh, the, the crazy thing here, Captain, is they've got him stripped down to a white T-shirt uh, boxers and, and, uh, socks Mm -hmm. yet his gas mask is still on. So then they remove this gas mask. Okay. And the first thing that they see when they take off the mask is they're shocked by the bright orange hair and the James Holmes has got these huge pupils Mm -hmm. and they take off the mask. And the first thing that James says is he says, I'm the Joker. Uh, they also find 28, they find $280 cash in his wallet. He also has his ID, his university of Colorado school ID on him, a credit card, health insurance card, things of this nature. Um, and the officers ask him if, if he had any more guns other than the Glock that they saw on top of his vehicle, he answers, yes, I have four of them. Uh, they, they then ask him if he has any explosives. Again, he says, yes. They ask where they are, and he states that they are in my apartment. Asking if they are ready to go off, James says, yes, if you trip the wires. The officers want to know what type of explosives they are, and James explains that they are IEDs, which are improvised explosive devices. So now we have this gunman um, 
apprehended mm-hmm. and they're going to take him back to uh, the station for questioning. And we, but we still have chaos going on. And one of the nurses said, look, this became, um, you know, a mass shooting, a massacre basically, but it also then became uh, a miracle because we have all these victims that are hurt that could die. And then this is when the nurses and doctors, you know, they go into, um, you know, survival mode basically. And, and, and if it wasn't for them and if, if it wasn't for the fast acting police officers, there'd be more than 12 people dead. Another miracle that, that took place that evening was remember we said in that AR 15, he had the 100 drum magazine. Mm-hmm. Okay. He could have fired 100 rounds. He actually only shot about 30 of those rounds because the gun ended up jamming on him. Yeah. Um, and they say that that can be typical with, with a magazine that holds that many rounds that it would be typical that it would jam. Many lives were were saved by by this gun being jammed that well, night. And he, many he lives were saved for fired. the fact that he didn't really know what he was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you take uh, a train expert with the amount of equipment that he had, and it would have been the numbers would have been staggering. Yeah, because I mean, when you just think of the layout of any movie theater and where he positioned himself up by the movie screen, mm-hmm. and then throwing out the tear gas. The, the the people are I mean they're they're sitting ducks they're at a terrible disadvantage to yeah. to this gunman yeah and your two exits are one around the the shooter or normally you have to go down towards the shooter anyways and then cut back through the lobby you know they need to come up with another exit you know like at the top of the stairs or something so during the interrogation in the early parts of it, they, the, the police have, now this is pretty typical. They have taped bags to his hands, mm-hmm. uh, because they want to preserve any gunpowder residue that would be on his fingers and his hands. And during the questioning process, he is using these bags as like, like puppets. He's waving them around. Like they're some kind of puppets. Mm-hmm. And at one point he finds a staple in the, in the table. And he removes it from the table and he tries to jam it into an electric outlet that's in the room. And of course the officers stop him from doing so. Uh, But this is this amongst other types of wild things that he's doing best describes his behavior during the early parts of this questioning. Yeah. But the first question he asks officers is were there any children hurt? Mm -hmm. I mean, look, a lot of this stuff as far as like him playing you know, oh, you put bags on my hands. I'm going to act all crazy and I'm playing puppeteer, you know. Um, and, you know, I'm going to shove this. He, he knows damn well that you take put a, a staple into a socket. It's not going to do much. I'm not suggesting that anybody does it because there's a chance that it could be not good. But some of this stuff is just, you know, immaturity, mm-hmm. you know, and he's just an acting crazy, you know. that I mean, that's where I get from it. You know, you want to sit there and act crazy, and then your first question is, is there any kids that were hurt? You know, they also talk about when they, uh, you know, apprehended him and put him in the police vehicle, that they said, well, he was constantly, like, looking back to see what the chaos was. I I don't I don't know how much I buy that. I think he, for whatever reason, he did this stuff, and now he's, uh, you know, he, he he's obviously remorseful right away. And to me, that shows a sign of not uh, of sanity and not insanity. Absolutely. And through talking with him, the first thing they want to know about 
is they want to know about these explosives that he said are in his apartment. Mm -hmm. So he's going to give them a little bit of information. But we do have to mention that the police would go ahead and break protocol one more time. Now, what happens here is James Holmes does request, he requests an attorney. And they do not actually deny him an attorney. Mm -hmm. They, they, you know, he, he has an attorney. But the problem is the attorney is trying to get to James Holmes to, to be involved in this questioning. He's read his Miranda rights, but the police have figured out we've got to, we've got to know what's going on in that apartment. And we need specifics. We need intel, basically, so we can figure out how to disarm these booby traps, let's say. Now, when the police first discover what's going on in the apartment, they are very concerned because he's outfitted this apartment with enough explosive devices that it could take down the whole building. Well, and and look, let's face it. I mean, they are at, at this moment, they... Before they start questioning him, they know that there's these explosives. But now they're asking him, what, what, what's your name? Who are you? James Holmes. And right when they say that, now they're going to their database system, right? And, that, and they're going to try to figure out who the hell this kid is. There's no record of this kid. I mean, mm -hmm. this kid doesn't have a troubled past. No. So they really have no clue who the hell they're dealing with. I think he had one speeding ticket at some point in his life. So this wasn't a guy that was that was breaking laws and constantly violent. This wasn't mm -hmm. anybody that was on anybody's radar. Um, well, he was on somebody's radar. He was on a psychiatrist's radar at the school and provoked, but that's going to take, you know, days and weeks to figure out. This is something that the cops are not going to be able to figure out within the first couple minutes of questioning him. Well, one thing that they do figure out is that the way that he rigged his apartment to blow the whole building. I mean, you think about how many more victims there could have been mm -hmm. if this whole apartment would have blown up at this whole building. Well, and like I said, remember he, he's supposedly lives in this one bedroom apartment, but it's a complex. That's a bunch of one bedroom apartments, possibly two bedroom apartments with a bunch of students in it. So one thing that he did was he set up this boom box, one of those old school boom boxes. And he set it so that it would be silent for approximately 40 minutes. And then at some point, this would be around 1 a.m., it would start blaring very loud music. Mm -hmm. His intentions were that uh, an angry neighbor, neighbor would come up and would check his door. Well, what he did was he rigged it with a tripwire, and he left the door slightly ajar so that all somebody would have to do is, is move that door, and this would blow up his apartment and essentially the whole building and everybody in it. Mm-hmm. What happens is a neighbor. Wait, wait, before we get to that, this is what he's telling the cops, mm -hmm. but they're not for sure if it's just that building, you know, what, what else is that building connected to? Is he just telling us it's one building? Could it be possible multiple buildings? They don't know. They're, they got to go, you know, this psychopath just tried to murder hundreds of people in a movie theater. And now we have to, on some level, trust what he's saying and take this very serious. One angry neighbor actually approached the door because of the loud music. And she stopped herself from touching the door because she noticed that it was slightly open and she thought this was extremely suspicious. Yeah. And so she backed out at the last second and decided to just call in the noise complaint to the police. Well, and you'd think that the police 
or campus security or whoever would show up and see and the just door touch the door as well touch the, yeah yeah and thank thank god they got to james holmes before any of these things could take place another thing he did with that apartment and the things he had rigged up was he actually set a remote control device outside of the apartment building and he set this down on the street thinking that if somebody didn't touch the door, that somebody would be likely to walk along and see this remote control and pick it up and hit a button mm-hmm. and it would have the same effect. And, and what you were talking about, like we said, you know, when they ask him, you take off the gas mask, who are you? The Joker. And you were kind of talking to me earlier about, you know, did he set this up, you know, with the idea of being like the Joker, Yeah. you know, like where I'm not going to blow it up but somebody else's actions is going to call it, cause it to blow up, whether that's somebody pushing the door or finding the remote and hitting the button that, themselves. Well, in the general thought, I mean, everybody's got their own thoughts of the Joker, but but the Joker is basically the, the agent of chaos, right? He's, he's the person that's setting things up so that everything just gets chaotic and, and nobody knows how to react and nobody knows the reason why, because there's, there is no reason for mm-hmm. any of these actions. There it's, are no reasons. It's just to cause complete chaos and to cause mayhem and death. Mm-hmm. And, and the other fact is that, you know, the Joker sometimes would set things up or rig things so that some people were other than himself were in control of some of that chaos or mayhem. And this being the door that he rigged with the tripwire or the remote control that he left outside of the apartment for somebody to push the buttons. Yeah, and it takes him about, what, two days. Yeah, and the, the, the part of that was uh, they th- they were concerned, obviously, and, and they had evacuated the building very quickly, but they were concerned about a couple of things. They were worried that the apartment was rigged in such a fashion that not only would it blow up the building, but it could potentially blow up some of the surrounding buildings. So their first thought was, rather than go in and dismantle these uh, booby traps, we should just blow. <laughs> we should just blow up the building, and that that was one thing that they had considered. Yeah. And they kind of played with this idea for a little bit of time until they could come up with a good strategy. Part of the strategy was getting intel from James Holmes. Now, where I said that they broke protocol was that they kind of they weren't completely honest about where James Holmes was being held, so it delayed the attorney getting to him. Because their thought was that once the attorney arrived, that James Holmes would shut down right. and he wouldn't he wouldn't communicate any of this much needed information to mm-hmm. them. Yeah, yeah. And you know, because the attorney will say, Hey, we're not talking. Mm-hmm. Right. But not, but you're putting people's lives at risk. Again, it's questionable. I mean, because there's the justice system and and I believe in justice and I believe in law and order, but at the same time, uh, I believe in saving lives uh, more than that. Yeah, you know, it's you broke protocol, but I think um, the reasons were justified. Yeah, this this kind of action reminds me of something like a, like a Die Hard movie or maybe a, a Lethal Weapon, where you have the the cops that don't always go along mm-hmm. with everything that they're supposed to do, but at the end they've made the right decision because in the end their job is to protect and serve the people of their community. And sometimes, you know, you might have to bend a little bit to, to serve and protect your community. Yeah. So basically you have to break the law to protect the law or, or something, something like that. But so we, we basically know that he 
you know, we, we now know the actions. We know the ramifications of the shooting. Mm-hmm. We know that he had these bombs set up. Takes him a couple of days, but they disarm it. Nobody's hurt in the process. And it, and what was weird about this case, though, is it, it takes two years, two and a half years for yeah. this trial to start. Yeah, which well, is 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 a little strange. Yeah, it takes. Uh, I believe it's a in mid October before they finalize the charges that they want to uh, to push against James Holmes. Um, so that we're already seeing a few months lapsed there but Mm -hmm. but then the jury selection process was crazy as well i mean they they sent summonses out to like nine thousand people and they were going to select 12 jurors plus some alternates from from that pool of people um well this was headline news too so it's it's also uh harder to find not only is it headline news so you got to find somebody that's not biased but just i mean think about the victim count i mean there's 12 people that lost their life which is very senseless. It's ridiculous. And then there's there's another 70 people that are injured. And and whether it's a small injury and, and that's just the victims physically. But I mean even if you're in the theater next door, what what effect does that have on you mentally for all the years to come? You know, when, yeah. when are you able to go back into a movie theater and feel safe? When are you able to go to any event and feel safe? Possibly never. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of victims, as you're saying, that were in that building or witnessed something that night that are not part of any of these statistics that we read. You know, they go unnamed and unknown. Mm-hmm. And these are people, like you said, they may not be able to go out in the public anymore, or maybe they have nightmares for the rest of their lives, or they can't sleep. They have insomnia now. Um, yeah. This this is on because of one lost individual, and whether you think he's sane or or insane or whatever, I mean, I think we can all agree that he's definitely lost, and because of that, a lot of people were affected, and so I think that's probably another reason why it took so long for them to find a jury. You got there's a lot more people that are um, affected by this, mm-hmm. and so then that makes the circle, you know bigger on how many people know somebody that was affected by this. So you have this event that took place. that's of, of worldwide, you know, everybody knows about this thing. Okay. So you have that problem. You have the jury selection process. You have the number of victims involved now parallel all of that with trying to figure out, is this guy insane or is he sane? Mm -hmm. All right. And that's part of the reason why this trial would end up taking so long now, what would happen is not only did they learn about the booby traps and they would they would figure out a way to dismantle all of them. And that all worked its way out because of good police work. Now, what what they ended up finding out as well is as soon as James Holmes receives an attorney, mm-hmm. it's communicated to the attorney that on that same day that he had mailed a notebook to his former psychiatrist this is that lynn fenton and we're gonna say loose psychiatrist i mean he saw her maybe three times so um one thing that you can say about him is he actually sought out help and and lynn was not the first uh, psychiatrist he saw Mm -hmm. so through the school uh he through the school whatever's happening mentally with him uh and and i think from you know that girlfriend he had 
you know, look, if a girlfriend suggests to you, maybe you should see somebody, talk to somebody. Um, there's all this stuff going on with Holmes and he goes and talks to a, a psychiatrist. That psychiatrist, wow, I can't talk. That five out of five beer. That's is the really, big bad Baptist. Wow. Wowza. Um, that psychiatrist refers him to Fenton. Is that the name? Fenton. Yes. Okay. And then she talks to him about three times. Within those three times, though, like we said, he's probably homicidal. They revoke his privileges on campus. They revoke his... And, and there's some call. You can find it online where she's calling, leaving a message saying, hey, yeah, uh, this Holmes character, yeah, I revoked this privilege and I revoked this privilege. A lot of pu- people put blame on her like oh she could have um did a a 72 hour holding Mm -hmm. and look that's maybe and maybe when there's more uh, accounts of these actions that come up maybe that's something we'll do more often but that's also invading on people's rights you know some you know if somebody's having a bad day and they start screaming at somebody on campus and then you decide hey we're going to put on a 72 hour holding period I mean, that there is a lot, you know, the, it shouldn't be so quick trigger, you know, on that. But in this case, it's all, it's easy to blame somebody on hindsight. Right. So. But regarding the notebook, this ends up becoming a big problem. And this is a big problem for the trial mm-hmm. because they have to figure out what to do with this notebook. Because as soon as the attorneys mention this notebook, this was mailed to the psychiatrist, but it was not yet received. Right. So the attorneys, they want to intercept this notebook. They're saying that it's James's property. And because he's going to be eventually charged with a crime, that they should be able to confiscate that and, and keep it private to them. Um, what the, what the prosecution and what the law enforcement is going to argue is that, no, you, you sent it to this person and we should be able to view it and decide what we what should be done with it. Mm-hmm. James's attorneys are going to suggest that this is no. This is bound by by uh, doctor client privilege. That that none of the information inside of the binder can be mm-hmm. be talked about. Yeah, which I understand that, but <laughs> I mean, your doctor is also calling and revoking your student ID and and wanting you to not be on campus. Uh, you know, but, isn't that some sort of doctor-client privilege? Right, and therein lies a big question that they had to answer. When did James Holmes quit being a client of the psychiatrist? As uh, far as I would want to argue that he was never, you know, a client because he only saw her a few times. Well, as far as the as the psychiatrist is concerned, she says that no, the moment that he quit that he dropped out of school and he quit attending our sessions, he is no longer my client. Right now they are going to say being the defense are going to say that, no, that James Holmes was still always a client. And why? Because him mailing that notebook that day is him reaching out to his doctor and what took place just minutes before the actual attack. Well, there was a phone call to the University of Colorado switchboard. Now, they're going to say, James Holmes is saying, this was from me. I was calling because I was going to ask them to to connect me with the doctor, with my doctor. Mm -hmm. And And this could be the phone call that people were talking about that he made 
and uh, a, when they said he, he, you know, it seemed like the attacker got a phone call and was taking a phone call. According to the college, they're saying that the switchboard did have the capabilities to connect him with his doctor. So that's a possibility. However, what they will state is that when the operator connected with whomever was calling, the caller did not state who he was, Mm -hmm. did not say anything at all, did not ask to speak with the doctor. And after just seconds, the call dropped. Right now they're So they're willing to admit that they received a call about the same time that James Holmes says he placed a call, which all this look, a lot of the stuff with this James Holmes character is he it's, it's all about convenience. When they say, oh, well, did you go out into your car? Were you trying to stop yourself? No, no. But you're going to also then argue that you're the one making a call to psychiatrists moments before you go in and try to kill people. Mm-hmm. It's a, see what I'm saying? It's convenience. Well, it's convenient for him and his defense. Right. That's what I'm saying. But at the same time, it's interesting because law enforcement is dealing with something that they don't typically end up dealing with. Because in mass shootings in the last two decades, over six, about 60% of the shooters decide to die during or after the attack. They either commit suicide or they commit death by cop, engaging the police in a right. shootout or violently attacking or resisting them, causing the police to kill them before they can be apprehended. So we're seeing a situation here where we have somebody that's committed this horrible crime mm-hmm. that only took minutes to take place, and now we have an opportunity or... We have the the dire situation of interviewing him and trying to figure out whether he's sane or not, and why he, this why he led to this. Why what why did this end up happening? And but here's the other thing, Captain. We talked about the Joker. We talked about uh, you know he says I'm the Joker, right. and and some people have wondered that was was he acting like the Joker? You know did he did he decide not to commit suicide or death by cop? Instead, was he choosing to live and view and witness the aftermath of this attack and the destruction and the chaos that he created? Yeah, I mean, that the, the you know, in any of these events or any crime, I guess, the, the question always then becomes why? Why did this person do this? And so a lot of people just say, well, the reason why he wanted to do this was because he wanted to be famous. And um, I, I think you can see some uh, evidence of that on 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 some level but i think people make a big deal about that where he's like this some some mastermind yeah he was an intelligent guy but i think he did some shitty things some real shitty things that he couldn't take back and i think he viewed them as such i mean when you're asking the cops and if you watch that interrogation yeah there's moments where he's acting crazy and you could you know again argue the validity of his mental state but uh He's asking questions that show remorse and I don't applaud him for that. I think he, you know, he's still a piece of shit, but, but I don't, but you know, fame, what does it matter if he wanted to be famous or not? I challenge you a bit on that. I don't know that he's showing remorse. I, but you're onto something there. I think that what he's showing is a level of sanity that he, that he's not completely insane. Yeah. Maybe it's not remorse. you're, You're exactly right. He does ask the police, were there any kids in the audience? And and he, we would later find out that he chose a movie theater for, for multiple reasons. But one of the reasons why he chose a movie theater was because he could choose a midnight premiere where there would be a lot of people where, but 
because of the time of day, he didn't anticipate there being any children in the audience. Yeah, and the problem is there was a child. Uh, there was also a pregnant lady. Um, yeah, the youngest victim was six years old. And as you said, there was a, a woman that was pregnant. Well, the, who, the youngest victim was the baby that wasn't born yet. You know, that's that's the youngest baby. That's the baby that didn't even get to start its life. You know, because some guy was lost. And, and it's, it's kind of stupid, you know. So we have this guy. He's He's been apprehended. And there's really no question here, Captain, right? There's no question of did he do it or if he was the one that did it, right? At, mm-hmm. Coming out at the time. And there, we did have the sane, the sanity thing to, to worry about. Uh, but that's going to start to work its way out through the court system. But what we start to see is the well, hoax. The well, let's finish the trial real quick. Okay. I mean, so he goes on trial. Mm-hmm. Then it's all about is he sane or insane, mm-hmm. right? So and then they have to figure that out. Uh, a psychiatrist, his examination of him, I think he spent. I don't. Know, I can't remember how long he spent with him. I think it was twenty-two hours. Yeah, twenty-two hours of interviewing. And he he comes out and says, "Look, I think he's sane. I don't think he's insane. You know, maybe he has some weirdness there." But you're exactly right. He he kind of says that he is he's he's got some mental illness. However, mm-hmm. he is not by definition definition of legally insane. He's not legally insane. Right. He's and, aware of what he done, and he's aware of what took place. Yeah, and then there there becomes this argument that people I, I i keep seeing this you know you know you got the insanity plea right he's he's insane but people are starting to bring up the idea of mental illness you know and and having that be some kind of defense mm-hmm. which um but anyways so it comes out that you know for all intense purposes they say he's sane and then the jury finds him guilty and his argument was that he was insane. So then there, he's sentenced to, uh, do you, what was that? Oh, he got, he got one of the lengthiest sentences ever handed down. He got 24 life sentences mm-hmm. and tacked onto that. He got like over 3000 years on top of that. And th- the reason for the 24 life sentences is he killed 12 people. So they doubled that up and then Factoring into the the three thousand, well, over three thousand years that they add on to that, I bet they didn't count the baby. That that is taken into account all of the people that were wounded or injured in the event itself, as well as some other charges for you know possession of explosives and and right. certain um, things that in inciting panic and you know all these other things that he was he was found guilty of. So yeah, so he's sentenced. He's going to spend the the rest of his life. Um, in jail, and the, and the big question at the time when when the trial happened was, is he is he going to die for this? Well, he's going to die in prison, and, and and that's how it goes. Now, again, people want to know what the why is because now if he's not insane, then what's the motivation? And like I said, one of the mo- the motivating factors that people bring up time and time and again, and you'll see a lot of the victims that were at trial talk about that. Well, this is nonsense because this is getting bigger and bigger and and, and this is what he wants, right? So, um, we, we, you know, I don't think we'll ever know the reason why, you know? No, like the, no, the, the, not, the real reason. No, because people want to ask things like, well, is this a gun control problem or is this a mental health problem right. or is this something in our society 
going on with it's both with, probably with violence in movies or violence in video games. And <laughs> I actually think it's probably a, a whole bundle, all those things up together. Um, and don't go crazy. I'm not saying take away the guns. Nobody's saying that here. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying that is that that is part of the issue. You can't walk away from this and say that, that, that at some point mm-hmm. guns don't have anything to do with this. They absolutely do. Yeah. Well, I mean, cause you know, that, that's the the choice of weapons. But I mean, look, if the guy was going in with machete and trying to kill everybody, it, it's a machete problem. I mean, but it, it's definitely a mental health problem. And it's something that we don't talk about. And uh, like I said it before, the National Football League will have a month where they wear pink and talk about cancer. And that's great. And we, we need cancer awareness. But one of the things that we need more more in this country uh, is mental health awareness and getting it to the point. And here's here's the here's the mess up thing with this whole situation. James actually tried to get help, you know, and 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 I, that's I'm not putting any blame on the doctors, you know. But this is not a kid that was uh, going through some stuff and then just decided, well, I'm going to kill these people. And you know, so there's definitely some mental health stuff going on. Um, and that, that just raises all these more, all these questions. And so years later, um, four years later, and then because of the gun control thing, mm-hmm. because of the gun control thing, then this becomes this conspiracy thing and you're exactly and, right. And hoax. And because, when you, because when we see these things, Sandy hook, when we see mm-hmm. Columbine, when, when these things happen, Immediately, there's these people that come out of the woodwork and they say, nope, this is your government. Your government set this up somehow, or there's there's other players involved in this, and this is all because somebody wants to take away Wait, your right to own a gun. Exactly. And uh, there's been multiple cases where there is proof that the media, you know, I don't know who the higher ups that are pulling the puppet strings, but there has been cases um, that in these different circumstances that it seems like there's some kind of hoax to it. So that, so we're just going to go through these real quick because it's interesting. So the first idea of this hoax, and you can look it up is that it never happened. And this is just nonsense. One, we got a guy in prison. We had this trial. We have hundreds and hundreds of people, hundreds of witnesses at, at the theater. There's, videotapes of it people that say this is one of, one of the things that drives me nuts when people go there's no there's no cell phone footage of the shooter okay well if somebody was shooting at me my first thought is not to pull out my phone and take a snapchat of this this douchebag you know what i mean so th- that and, argument and you're sitting there watching a movie that they've already told you to turn off your cell phone just minutes earlier which i know right. not everybody abides by that rule but Let's assume that well, most you people shouldn't have. turn it off. You just turn it on silence is what they're asking for. But hundreds and hundreds of witnesses, right? Mm-hmm. And then not only that, but we have all these uh, victims that are taken to hospitals and there's hundreds and hundreds of people at the hospitals. So did it happen? Yes, this happened. If you're happened. somebody that thinks um, that this didn't happen and it's just all a hoax, eh, you know, maybe you should go talk to a doctor. Um, though, another hoax that, that this one drives me a little nuts is, uh, it's a different guy. And what they do is they like to take pictures of, uh, James Holmes before, and then James Holmes after when he's arrested and then put them side by side 
and then they say, see, it's a different person. Mm -hmm. And I've watched these videos multiple times. I don't see the difference. I mean, yeah, he has a different hairstyle, color. He looks like he's probably put on about 20 pounds um, of fat, not not muscle or anything. And, uh, yeah, so he's the same guy. He just looks different. And on top of that, this would have to be a very elaborate hoax if it's a different guy. Because let's think about this for a second. Most of the purchases that he made for ammo and firearms were purchased with a credit card that he carried. He's the holder of this credit card. He ordered some of these things online from on online retailers. Right. He purchased yeah, some but, of these firearms but, in person, and yeah. he's there. They is there are video footage of him purchasing some of these guns in person. Um, and well, so, well, their argument would be that they got rid of them a long time before that, and then. This imposter is the one that's setting it all up. But like I said, they're, they're but again, I'm just pointing out, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it mm-hmm. would be a very elaborate hoax. To yeah. Yeah. Frame this guy. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a very elaborate hoax that this never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the other idea is, is there are two shooters, you know, and, the, and this is the point where you'll hear this over and over. You hear it on the nine one, you on the nine one one dispatches. They talk about um, two shooters. Mm-hmm. Eyewitnesses say there was two shooters. A couple of the eyewitnesses say, well, look, he comes in the door and they, there had to be two people. One, I think I think that feeling is coming from how fast those bullets are coming out of that gun. And then the other idea is that, well, you know, the the smoke bombs weren't going off in the same direction. So it had to be two shooters. Well, the smoke bombs aren't going off in the same direction because he's tossing those. If you toss it 10 feet and the smoke goes up and a moment of chaos and a moment of panic, you're going to assume that, well, there's somebody over there. Um, so you, this is not um, when this is being reported over and over and over. I, I think it does give some validity to look into that idea. Is there two shooters? Because we have multiple eyewitnesses that claim that there were. Now, here's a here's something that gives that some validity. Is, um, and I, I couldn't find this for certain, but we talked about James Holmes being found wearing a gas mask. Uh, there was a gas mask that was found on the other end of the building, behind, and there, and it was found with a bloody knife. Now, how much truth is is there? I'm not really for sure. They also talk about some weird things with the guns, the guns being propped up and not just laying down, and that there was possibly two A-15s. AR-15s. AR-15s. So that gives some idea to the the idea, uh, was there two uh, shooters? There was also some reports of uh, a a group of people in in a van that pulled somebody into the van and some people thought, well, that is, um, you know, because none somebody of somebody making a getaway, right? My, my argument would be they either just didn't see something correct on that level or possibly it was somebody pulling in a victim to have them get away. Um, the other thing I don't buy about that is James Holmes has never brought that to anybody else's attention that, that, that there was multiple shooters. 
Yeah, and actually when he was asked if he was alone by the arresting officers, he pretty much just gave us he just kind of gave a smirk. Like he didn't really say yes or no. But um Well that doesn't help the hoax theory because if he's just smirking, then maybe. No, but I think that, that that goes along with other things that how he was reacting to his arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing here, too, one thing that I think throws this whole second shooter into into motion. You know, when, when we talked about Columbine, we, we had said that, you know, some eyewitnesses believed that they had seen multiple groups of two men walking the halls shooting at people. And this was because of the way the school was laid out, that they were running, they were fleeing, they were panicking. You don't really know exactly what you're seeing when you're in that life or death situation. You just know that you're seeing something. You may not, it, you may not process that you're seeing the same person twice. Now, it, but one thing that happened here too was with the arresting officer, he at one point did think that there was a second shooter. And the reason being was after he had apprehended uh, James Holmes, he saw a green sight. Now, this is like a laser scope sight that right. you would have on a handgun or on a firearm. And he saw this green sight pointing off in the off in the distance or near them. And right. so he immediately goes on guard because now he's concerned that there's a second shooter. It's not very long after that that he realizes the, that the sight that he's seeing is left on the Glock that was on the roof of the white hatchback. Right. That, that he had drug James Holmes away from. Well, the other thing too is that when he uh, he sends, like we talked about, he sends this package of the plan to uh, his psychiatrist, and there's no mention of a second shooter in that. So, um, you know, there is some reason to dive into that and question that. There d- doesn't seem to be a lot of validity to that. So, like we talked about before. Is this the same guy? When they put the pictures up side by side, it's definitely the same guy. But then they start arguing, well, his body's different. Well, let's start. Let's think about this. In middle school and high school, he played soccer and uh, he, he ran cross country. And then he goes to college and now he's out of college. He's, you know, he's in college, but for his doctorate. So he's gained the, the freshman 15 I mean, this guy looks, you know, yeah, he's in more shape in, in high school. And he let himself go, you know, and then as he, then it takes him two years to go stay in trial and he lets himself go even more. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, think about this. So he's, he has an athletic body type according to his adult friend finder account. Right. But, but <laughs> right. there, there, we do know that on occasion he rode his bike to and from school Um, we also know that, like you said, he's at school, he's active, he's doing things. No, but what I'm talking about is high school. He wasn't that active in college. So yes, your body is, is his body different? Yes. His body's different, but it's just, that's, that's what it looks like when somebody's not in shape anymore. But what I'm saying for me is I'm seeing a difference in body type between him at trial and him on the day that he's arrested or within days of his arrest. Yeah, it's a it's but, a progression. But obviously, it doesn't take an Einstein to figure it out. I didn't even have to leave the garage to figure it out. Right. It's because, guess what? He's in solitary confinement for most of his incarceration, for most of the time that he's being held because of multiple reasons. One, they are worried that he's going to be killed by another prisoner or, mm-hmm. or person that's in the jail. 
Uh, two, they are worried about him trying to take his own life. There was reports of him slamming his head into walls uh, and him saying crazy things. But there were also things when he was first brought in, they were the, the other inmates were calling him a child killer and a baby killer. And right. they, they, they made no buts about it that they wanted to hurt him. So he was held in solitary confinement for those reasons. Guess what? Unless you decide to drop to the floor and do push-ups, you don't get much activity in this situation. Okay, so what are some other reasons why people would think that this is possibly some kind of hoax? And not not that it's not real, but that it's for some other agenda. Well, there's a lot of talk about his funding for school being from uh, DARPA, right? Now, DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Uh, it's roughly about $2.97 uh, $2. billion are allotted to DARPA every year. Uh, they, it's, But, again, there's no record of this. Uh, it seems like the majority of the money that he's getting to go to school is coming from the university as, as far as grants go. Yeah, he got a grant as well as a stipend. Uh, and on top of that, his parents seem to have some kind of money that he may have been receiving money from them. And we do know that he had in his possession a credit card that he was not afraid to use. Yeah, I mean, and, and the the big argument about this is that all the stuff he bought was possibly about $10,000 worth of uh, equipment that he purchased for the attack. Um, again, he's, you know, I mean, we're talking about 20 some thousand dollars coming in from uh, the school to pay for his. And I, I just didn't find anything that showed any validity that DARPA was paying for his school. Uh, the other thing that is weird that is they say that this is, you know, a big conspiracy because his therapist worked for the air force. She was, a, uh, and now th- there is some validity to this. She did work for the air force. She also has kind of a dark past she was charged with some weird stuff. She was uh, prescribing pills for herself, prescribing pills for her family members. She got in trouble with the DEA about this. They do their little whatever they got to do, and then she ends up here. And so, the, again, the, it's this part of this conspiracy theory. Well, she worked for the Air Force, so that means she's connected to the government, and that means that he is like some uh, silent assassin or whatever you want to call it. Like a Manchurian it. candidate. Yeah, MK Ultra type of stuff. So there's some validity to that idea, but again, uh, she saw him three times. You know, but, we, but is there? I don't think that there is. I think some of these are just leaps that people are making. It's a leap, but what I'm saying is, she did work for the Air Force. You know, she was a psychiatrist for the Air Force. I, no, I get that part of it, but it's also the same thing as saying, well, the captain knows Nick, and Nick knows. John, somebody over there. So, mm-hmm. so <laughs> he knows somebody. So that, so therefore, that means that John over there knows the captain. Well, that's that's a bit of a leap. Yeah, and then the, it comes out that there's this inmate that sees him when he's in jail, mm-hmm. and she makes these claims that he's screaming stuff and 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 doing all this stuff. Later, come to find out that she was not an inmate; that she worked for the prison. It's, it's a weird thing. Why she did what she did or who told her to do that, it's a strange thing. To me, still no validity that there's some conspiracy theory. 
or that this just happened so that our government can take away our guns. Um, let's see some other stuff that was interesting. People always talked about him being drugged. Uh, yes, he was definitely drugged uh, on some level. They they reported this in the paper, basically saying that that James Holmes was on some kind of truth serum, which we know truth serum as being like LSD. This was not LSD. It is weird that they drugged him, but also this is a guy that has made multiple claims. You know that he saw shadow people. He saw well. That was reported ghost. because they were trying to decide. They needed this psychi- psychiatrist to see him to make a determination whether he was sane or legally insane at the right. time of the event for the purpose of his trial. Now, during this, they one of the methods that they thought of pursuing would be to feed him this truth serum and to figure out if if he's telling the truth because he is of the level of intelligence that he may be able to fake some kind of insanity, right? Uh, especially because he was a, somebody that was studying the brain and how the brain reacts and how the brain works. Uh, um, yeah. and, and, and so he may be able to fake that. Ultimately they decided not to give him that. They, they, they figured out that the best way to figure out if he's, if he's acting or if he's actually being, true and real Mm -hmm. was to monitor him by multiple people over the course of a lengthy amount of time because anybody i don't care how smart you are how dumb you are most people can act a certain level of crazy for a certain amount of time but if you do that if you expand it over a long enough timeline Mm -hmm. people can't hold that up after a while right 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 yeah and so you know um there's some validity there. I mean, they, they were, they did give him some drugs or whatever. Um, I don't know what that proves. You know, I think that, I think the thing that they say is like a lot of the stuff with this whole MK ultra talk is that, um, well, we put somebody, uh, you know, the sleeper assassin, they go, they go up, they, they, he did the attack and now he can't remember any of it. And now we're going to drug him. And the whole idea is that we're going to take him away from society and we're going to screw up his brain. And so what they're saying is they're drugging him. So therefore it's a conspiracy. Well, they are drugging him, but they're not hiding the fact that they did drug him. And part of that is because he's on suicide watch. Right. And that's, that's typical protocol to follow when, when they have you, you, you feed them the drugs because it dulls them down and it, and it, and it calms their behavior. So again, it's happening. They're not being secretive about it. I don't think it plays. You shouldn't run with this idea to make it a conspiracy. But what they said was, so after the media reports that, wow, James Holmes looks super drugged up, then the um, judge says, no more media. And again, conspiracy theorists say, okay, well, see, here's an example of them trying to cover this up. Yeah, they actually issued like a two and a half year gag order on people that were close to the case. They were not allowed to speak to the media regarding the James Holmes case. Oh, the, what the judge said, uh, you can believe it or not, was he didn't want it to turn into a media circus. And, you know, obviously. And you know what? It, even with, with all the extra that they put on to it, trying to make it not turn into a circus, it, I mean, it still, it still was received, in my opinion, as a circus. Yeah, so let me look at this. Okay, so, okay, if we want to, uh, stuff that would make you some eyebrows, 
right? They would raise your eyebrows. And James Holmes is famous for his stupid eyebrows. Um, some things that raise some eyebrows that just could just be pure crazy, or is there something to it? Uh, Deborah Cave. So what happens is they're, when they're going to sentence him, this lady, which people claim was homeless, and that she was at the courthouse for a couple days. She gets up and says, don't kill him. It's not his fault. And she's screaming this. And that, okay, that's not that weird. But then she starts saying, look, it's mental health. It's a mental health issue. You know, maybe he's sane, but it's mental health. This is where it gets strange. Deborah Cave says, I'm his real mother. They took him from me. And then James Holmes' mom turns around. And now she's crying. Some mutter, they mutter some stuff. And, you know, they're trying to detain Deborah Cave. And then she says some stuff. And then she mutters FBI. Now, that happened. We know that. Yeah. We also know that Deborah Cave was uh, found in contempt of court. And then they arrested her for this. I don't know what happened to Deborah, Deborah Cave. I don't know if she was homeless. I don't know if she was on drugs. I don't know if she was mentally well. But it's something that goes, well, that raises some eyebrows. I don't know what it means, but it's weird. It's very, it's certainly strange. Um, Holmes looks like his mother. You know, have have you seen any interviews with uh, with his mother? He he looks like his mother. I, I that mm-hmm. that's not that's. I, I think he looks like his father as well. Yeah, I mean, he looks yeah, like his parents to me. Yeah. I mean, that's not a, a DNA test, you know, but. Uh. So, uh, okay, the other thing that that um, raises a couple questions for me is on the police radio, you talk about them looking for a shooter that is wearing blue, je- blue jeans and a plaid shirt. That raises some suspicion to me because that's definitely not what he was wearing. Mm-hmm. He's wearing all black. But again, that could have just been, you know, misidentification um let's get into some of the little juicier stuff the the one of the main things that people bring up is that robert holmes um james is home uh james holmes father so robert holmes is a mathematician and also a scientist like i said he has degrees from stanford ucla and uc berkeley the idea was that he was going to be on trial or testify in a case dealing with uh, uh, li- this is the bank scandal. Yeah, Liber, right? I think that's what it's called. Now, basically, what it is is that when when banks borrow money from each other, there's a system on how that works. Um, now, you can read into this as much as you want. And there's some weird stuff too because they people try to make some connection that uh, James's Holmes James Holmes' father was connected to this liber, and so was a victim's father and Sandy Hook. There's not much validity to the Sandy Hook connection, uh, but yes, um, Robert Holmes definitely had some stuff to do with FICO credit scores, some computer programming. And, and different stuff in his field to help with banking. Um, and some people would say, well, that connects Robert Holmes to the elite of the elite. Therefore, uh, James is as part of this conspiracy. 
uh, I don't know if I buy that. It is very odd, and it makes me want to dive into it more, but I, I don't know if that proves that this this is a conspiracy. There's, there's a lot of conspiracy theorists out there regarding this case and regarding Sandy Hook and regarding a lot of these other mass shootings. But at the end of the day, the thing is, this this mass shooting problem is a problem, and, it, and it's happening all the time. I mean, I want to give you some quick numbers here, okay? According to the FBI, the FBI considers a, a homicidal rampage, like a mass shooting. Mm-hmm. They consider that their definition of a mass shooting is where the attack results in the death of four or more persons, okay? So in the 1980s in the United States, there were 18 of these such attacks. In the 1990s, there was 54 of them. In the 2000s, there was 87. And from the years of 2006 to 2010, we had 156 of these attacks. So yeah. hoax, no hoax, whatever you you dive down all the rabbit holes you want to go to, that's fine and that's all well good. But you can't argue against these numbers. The other thing that's crazy too is America's robbery theft and assault rates are similar to numbers that are seen and compared to other developed countries like the U S however, our gun homicide rate, we have about 11,000 gun deaths a year in this country. This is according to the centers for disease control and prevention. So we're looking at numbers from 2013. So this, what this is, is this means that our, you, our gun homicide rate is 30 times higher than that of countries like France or Australia. Mm-hmm. So we're we're seeing an we're seeing a problem here. And we're seeing well, it what, repeat itself time and time again and it's increasing rapidly. No, I, I get that, but a lot of those countries are also quite smaller than ours. You know, so murder per, per capita and all that stuff, but yeah, but they still have the same they say have the exact same numbers of robberies and thefts and assaults. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> We definitely have a mental health issue. I definitely think we have. Um, and, and you know, in the 80s and the 90s, we actually had a lot more. Vi- our violent uh, attacks, as far as um, violent assaults, the rates were much higher for those singular attacks back then. But you had a lot fewer of these these shooting massacres. Well, when you said conspiracy or not, well, yeah, now we're having a problem, but it's a. It's it's a big problem if this is some conspiracy, you know, to to control the narrative. Um, now, what they talked about was, you know, with this MK Ultra thing. Well, we talked about this is the number one hair raising thing that gives some validity. Not that it's hoax and it's fake, but that they're trying to control the narrative. Is they talk about with the MK Ultra? Once you do something, then you, you might have amnesia, but we don't want you to get to the point where you do remember. Now, there's a couple times that uh, inmates said that James Holmes was yelling, oh, the FBI brainwashed me. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Maybe that's part of a psychosis. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe it was him, part of him acting crazy. Because, But I think, I believe that doctor, when he said he was in, he was actually sane, because I see those, those fragments of sanity and his interrogation. And if you think that this guy is just some crazy psycho, uh, watch those interrogations. Yeah. You're going to see some humanity inside him 
and you're going to see some saneness, but th- well, this you're going to the- see some thought put into action of his attack. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to be- see that because he's asking about the children, like you had said. And the- there's other things that they learn from this notebook that they that they get that he sent to the psychiatrist. They figure out that that he again he picked the late night showing of this movie because he didn't believe that there would be any children in there. The notebook clearly states he clearly presents himself as somebody that wants to kill people. And he thinks about becoming a serial killer. However, he decides that that's not the route he's going to go because that's right. too personal of an, of an attack. That's a, that's an up close and personal. And he act. wouldn't be able to handle something like that. He also thinks about going into an airport and carrying out a mass shooting in an airport. However, mm-hmm. he decides that he doesn't want to do that because there would be too much security there and that he would probably be stopped before he could get to what he, he do, what he wants to do. He also thought about using explosives to, to kill a lot of people. However, he decided not to use explosives because he was worried that he would blow himself up in the process. Right. Well, he uses explosives, but, and then that's another part about the conspiracy. Some people believe there was no bombs at all in his apartment, but, and which then in that case, the notebook goes with that thought, but the, but the big hair raising thing, um, if you want to start diving down the conspiracy thing and really, which gives some validity to it, you know, is we don't know where James Holmes is. Right. You know, he, he was arrested. Uh, he, he, you know, went on trial. He's charged. And sentenced. He sentenced all that stuff. And then they did this uh, prisoner trade. So basically this one prison will, we're going to give you a prisoner. Well, he was attacked. Well, yeah, he was attacked. He was attacked. What happened was uh, one of the correction officers accidentally, well, we don't need to go into that. But for whatever reason, there was a door that was left unlocked or or a cell that was left unlocked. Somehow, uh, somebody didn't do their job correctly, and an inmate was able to get to James Holmes and assaulted him. And after this took place, this was last year, after this took place, they transported him to another prison Mm -hmm. and they will not say where he's being held. And they say that this is for his personal safety. Yeah. So what they do is a one for one. We're going to trade this prisoner for you. They say it's for his safety. And then the, 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 there's uh, parents of the victims that just want to know where he's at and they won't say And the state, I guess, technically doesn't have to say. Uh, that's the hair raising thing. When that happens now, and and by the way, he's not prisoner James Holmes anymore. He's prisoner whatever. They say they changed his name. Who knows, right? So nobody knows where he's at. Um, that's That's one of the main things. I don't find that fishy at all. Yeah, but I find that to be a problem. And it is a problem. What, because in certain states, and it might be all 50 states, I'm not certain, but I know for I know for a fact that some of the states carry the system where they are required to treat their inmates and the inmates have the same rights as the citizens of that state. Right. Well, this presents some problems because we've seen in some states where where maybe somebody wants to be a man wants to become a woman. Well, Everybody has that right. So now the state has to pay for that process to take place. And that's not a cheap process. Right. So in this situation, we're seeing we're seeing where they need to keep James Holmes safe 
without being attacked or without being killed by another inmate, because that's the same thing that they would transpire to any citizen of that state. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a problem with this. I don't, I don't have a problem with keeping inmates safe. I think that they should, I should, they should be safe. The problem here is I do think that the victim's families, as well as the general public has much of every much of a right to know where he's being kept and how long he's going to be kept there. I think right. that people need to know this. I, mm. I, I think, you know, if, if punishment is the deterrent for committing a crime or harmful acts to others, then we need to see the punishment, right? We need to be aware of it. This guy doesn't, shouldn't just be able to vanish like a ghost in the night. Right. And, and now, and now this, now he becomes more of a, of a legend, so to speak. Yeah. And I think because of that, that, you know, sparks fire. I'm not saying it gives any validity to this idea that it's a conspiracy that, you know, this is some part of like, you know, mind control or something. Um, but I think it, it's one of those things that conspiracy theorists will go, ha ha. See, we can't even find James Holmes. How can we know anything? Um, but yeah, there's some, there's some odd stuff about this, but and any of these cases, I mean, you can look up this stuff about, uh, you know, the Illuminati cards and you can look up all these number theories about James Holmes. Um, look, if you're looking for answers and you're looking for odd things that don't line up, you're going to find those if you look for them, you know, if you're really searching them out. But, uh, man, we've gone long enough already. Oh, wow. So anyways, he's a, he's a real piece of shit. Um, you know, I think we should know where he's at. Um, but, I agree. I agree. But he's a real piece of shit, especially the victims' families. Um, and like we said, there's so many victims here. I mean, when you when you tally it all up, uh, it's crazy. And what's sad is that this kid showed promise. You know, this kid showed um, intellect. And, you know, he he could have done. Who knows what he could have done and in the positive realm and he didn't do that and then he and he takes these innocent people's lives and affects all these people uh, it's it's a sad story well and you know what here's the thing too you know you, you we often you know i've said it myself and i've heard other people say it as well when when these mass shootings happen and you know we said that 60% of them decide to commit suicide or die during the act or after the act and he didn't do that in this situation. And when when we see these mass shootings, we often say, myself included, well, why didn't he just go kill himself? You right. know, instead of doing this horrible thing, why didn't he just go kill himself? I can't answer that question. But here's here's what I want to know. I think there's something going on with the youth of America, and it's not youth of America as a whole, but it's happening in these little pockets, Right. And we're seeing these mass shootings happen at a faster rate year after year after year. Uh, we all want to know why they're happening. But at the same time, so, some of this is to get noticed. Yeah. Some of it is a way to get noticed. Mm -hmm. Now, here's a good way to go out and get noticed. Go talk to a psychiatrist. Go tell them that, you know what, I'm. there's something inside of me telling me to kill people or telling me to, to, to shoot into an audience of people. Mm -hmm. Why don't you choose to be famous or choose to be known or, or be somebody that was somebody that saved lives rather than taking them. 
Yeah, you'd be known as the the mass uh, murderer that never was, mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. All right, let's wrap this up because um, it's all getting a little too much for me. Today. We got a little hairy and scary in the garage tonight. <sighs> They're draining, man. These cases drain you. You you research them. You're trying to find interesting things to talk about, but at the at the end of the day, uh, innocent people lost their lives, and and it's and it sucks. And it's sen- well, and, and the the terrible thing too is it's senseless. It's absolutely senseless. And we've we've locked ourselves in the garage for the last week trying to get into the mind of James Holmes and figure out why this no, happened. I don't want to. And there, and I I need to get out. Yeah. I need to get out. All right, but recommended do, reading. Thank you, Captain. I want to recommend the Spiral Notebook. The Aurora Theater Shooter and the Epidemic of violent, Mass Violence Committed by American Youth. This is by a husband and wife team, uh, Stephen and Joyce Singular. And they. this is a very interesting book. Of course, it talks about James Holmes and the events leading up to the attack and the things that took place afterwards. But one thing that they did that was interesting here is they discuss some of the other mass shootings in this country. They discuss a lot of numbers and statistics, as well as interviewing people parts of American youth and asking them their opinions on of the epidemic of what's going on in this country. Right. Uh, so again, that's the spiral notebook by Stephen and Joyce singular. You can pick that up by going to truecrimegarage.com, Click on the recommended page and you're going to see this book as well as all the other books. And uh, even uh, we recommended a movie last week. So go check that out. Truecrimegarage.com. Uh, sorry the Well, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry that the episode was so long. Well, some it's people long. some people might Break not it up like it, but I, I enjoyed sitting here speaking with you, and we avoid avoided watching the election uh, in the process. <laughs> we did get out and try to rock the vote, but who knows what will happen I with just, that? I mean, no spoilers, but uh, but either Bill way, Murray didn't win. Regardless of the outcome, let's all be friends and let's all be a great country together. And you know what, Captain? Until next time, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Bill Murray for president. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.